Welcome to this edition of Rail Group on Air, our podcast series brought to you by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief William C. Vantuono. This is part three of our three-part series on Precision Scheduled Railroading 2.0, as envisioned by Sonia Bott and John Orr. We have feature stories in the June, July, and August issues. This particular version is in the August issue, and it's also online, of course, in the digital edition, as well as on the news section. Uh, Part three is about realizing your vision of PSR 2.0. And Sonia and John are going to step through a systematic and modern approach for delivering value while taking precision railroading to the next logical steps in its evolution. So, as they say, pushing the envelope now and in the future toward a major shift in thinking and delivering an integrated transportation system. So, Sonia and John, welcome. This has been uh, fascinating, and I'm sure this will be no less fascinating. John, let's start with you. The foundation of PSR 2.0 is what you call the transportation ecosystem. Uh, Given that rail transportation does not exist in a vacuum and is, in fact, one component of an integrated supply chain Describe your thinking behind what you call precision scheduled transportation. Well, Bill, it's really wonderful to be back, and I can't get over how quickly time flies. So, yeah, to be a part of a th- this wonderful three-part series is just a great journey. Uh, you know, precision scheduled transportation. I know we're going to talk about a pivot later on, but uh, you know, you're right. The, the railways don't exist in a vacuum. They're, they are a part of a very complex and uh, ever-evolving ecosystem of transportation and uh, requirements, uh, regulation, commitments that go to support an entire uh, economy, the economy of North America, as we're talking about. The pivot to uh, precision schedule transportation, you know, you never know where those uh, insights are going to be gleaned from. And if I could take you back, I was, I was, I was uh, having lunch with two experienced railroaders. Between them, have about 100 years of experience. So, one is retired, one still active as regulator. And uh, we were talking about precision scheduled railroading, and and he challenged me on why limit our view and our uh, branding to precision railroading 2.0. It's really about transportation, and it's about precision scheduled transportation. That light bulb came on loud and clear because it it is something that is a complete network. And just to be focused on the railway, when we're talking about the evolution and the desire to change and the demand for change based on competition, based on uh, improving weaknesses or building on strengths, is is really what we've been talking about this whole time. Uh, and again, we, we have the greatest respect. Sony and I have talked about the giants who came before us and uh, being able to leverage our, our unique and uh, talents to create precision schedule transportation uh, is, is something that's only because we have a, a greater understanding of the integrated supply chains. And the fact that they're, they're turning uh, very quickly into um, more complexity, uh, they're not linear, and the, the historic prediction of what a supply chain looked like up until even last year changing remarkably. And so, you know, looking to growth and looking from a holistic perspective, 
allows uh, people to see the sections of the end-to-end supply chain where there's weaknesses, where there's strengths, where there's need to improvement, and not just looking at things individually and compartmentalized, but really giving equal importance and overall shared to the shared purpose of delivering and allowing the full potential to be reached. And without taking a holistic view on precision scheduled transportation, whether you're, you're in the stakeholder group of a regulator, uh, organized labor, a customer, a terminal, or, or the railways who pay, play a significant role in, in this whole uh, precision scheduled transportation mindset in North America, uh, then you don't achieve that value. And like that conversation I had with uh, Bob Schott, who, who coined the phrase for me, uh, you, you don't get the full enjoyment of the intellectual experience and uh, business needs of each group within that organization and finding ways to, uh, to integrate them so that you have a holistic, achievable improvement within the transportation networks. So, you know, that the foundation has to be broad. The foundation can't be just uh, uh, viewed in, from one perspective. Now, we're, we've all, all said, and we've always said, that in order to get there, you have to improve what your core competencies are. So if you're a railway, you need to be as good as you can possibly be in the, the A to B and B to A equations of moving goods within your organization. And we're, we're not saying that changes. We're saying on top of that, you, you layer in a time-to-market view improvements so that they can be scaled, improvements in cost benefits, uh, revenue benefits, business growth benefits can be achieved as you progress through that. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, it gets into a lot of complexity. But uh, unless, unless people agree and understand that precision scheduled transportation is an all-encompassing view, then we, we do a disservice to the investments and the infrastructure that we have to work with in North America. So what's also important uh, from my perspective in the thinking behind precision scheduled transportation is the product view. It's about the product being transported along the value chain. It focuses on product productive partnerships that go beyond the individual railroads. It's about having a more comprehensive view of the business objectives, the service alignment and the supply chain from the view of the product. It's about deepening the engagement with customers from a product level perspective. So with the product view as the foundation, technology is one of the enablers to make precision scheduled transportation happen. And a lot of really great things are happening out there. Internet of things, intelligent transportation, connected transportation, smart transportation, you name it. Uh, these applications of modern technologies are striving to provide innovative services relating to different modes of transport and traffic management. And they enable the users so that they can be better informed and so that they can make safe and smarter use of transport networks. And this all helps you focus on the product view. So intelligent and innovative use of technology can go a long way in supporting what I call the whole product view which in turn drives the precision scheduled transportation. 
if, if I could add, Sonia, you're exactly right. And, and I think a lot of folks out there would have heard of a 360 view, whether it's uh, from a self-evaluation, uh, people evaluation, but you take a 360 approach uh, to healthy growth and to enabling uh, organizations to participate, uh, 360 approach to participation in transportation systems in North America, wh whether it is in one core group or not, it, it, this is exactly what Sony is talking about and allowing people then to leverage the full power of what's available and, and what can become available through, through collaboration, integration and exposure to needs that you may not have realized in the past. The uh, word that you uh, both of you have used uh, quite often here, and I've heard this another within other context, is is uh, pivot, uh, which is which is a word. Uh, as an editor, I say, well, that's that's a good word for turning. And I, I remember a number of years ago, uh, Michael Ward, when he was running CSX and he was trying to turn things in a bit of a different direction, he said, trying to turn a railroad, a class one railroad, is like trying to turn a battleship. I know Hunter Harrison did that successfully. He probably had every, everybody jump off the side of the, the side of the boat and start pushing <laughs> all at once. Uh, but uh, how does an organization know when to pivot? Uh, when do you make that decision? There will be times when a structured course correction is going to be required. That is a pivot. So for large and medium corporations like railroads, a pivot is making a change in the strategy and the tactics without making a change in the vision. So a pivot can be changing the process used to accomplish the same goal, or it could be changing the technology or changing the organization. So a pivot can impact an organization or a teams or just one thing. So how does an organization know when to pivot? Well, I have a cheat sheet of 10 triggers that can tell an organization when to pivot. So number one, as you proceed through your iterations, the iterations are falling short of the success criteria and they're not meeting requirements, or you've reached a roadblock. Number two, too much time is spent putting out fires. When this happens, it's time to take a step back, reassess and plan on a higher level. Number three, the market is shifting or it has shifted to a new technology and you are left trying to do things the old way. If the change in technology is significant enough, it may call for a pivot. Number four, the market's overall needs are changing. As the market needs to evolve, you need to pivot to meet the changing needs. And this will become increasingly necessary as ongoing automation continues to bring about change and disruption with the new technologies and with the new business models. So you've got to keep an eye on your customer needs as well as evolving markets so that you can pivot and be where your customer needs you to be. Number five, competitive dynamics are changing. So keep in mind the following forces. There's industry rivalry, threat of new entrants, bargaining power of customers and suppliers, threat of substitutes, and economies of scale. Number six, operational effectiveness. Are there any efficiencies in processes or execution? Is the performance subpar? Number seven, regulatory. Have new regulations been introduced? Or has the timing and urgency of existing ones changed? Number eight, alliances. 
of the alliances you relied upon in your strategic plan materially changed? Did you miss out or lose a strategic acquisition or a partnership? Number nine, have the sources and mechanisms for funding the mandate materially changed? And number 10, intuition. That's right. If you feel it in your gut, you must, must, must explore the true root causes and then qualify and quantify them. And there are no knee-jerk reactions here are allowed. Explore what's it, what you're, you're feeling in the gut because there's something material there, but you really have to know what it's all about. So the secret to pivoting is to do pivots in small value-added increments rather than postponing and then getting stuck with a big bang pivot. You listed 10 points. Uh, would you call those 10 points the 10 commandments of pivoting? Well, I would call them the 10 signs. <laughs> okay. Right? You're looking for the signs, right? Right. And if you want to put them into commandments, so be it. But these are the 10 that would be most appropriate for what we're talking about here with the PSR 2.0. John, uh, your, your thoughts? Sonia, I went through all 10 of, of those kind of uh, guides and signs. But when I think of a pivot, you, you talk about a battleship, and, and I've used an analogy when, when running hump yards or running huge territories at regions on class one railways. But I really think of a pivot as a basketball term and you're, you're, you have one firm foot and you're about to move the other ones uh, and you can create a lot of energy and a lot of uh, business or playing strategies around that pivot. Some of the best people have the ability to do things so basic and so simple and make the most out of that. You know, uh, Larry Bird or Michael Jordan or uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you think about how transformational his pivot was with a hook shot. Structured change, I absolutely agree, is... Uh, is You're dating yourself. Uh, <laughs> probably. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, and I could say, I could say, uh, Savard, uh, Savard, who played for the Chicago Blackhawks, and his Savardian spinorama was able to pivot and, and just change the whole nuance of, uh, of a two-on-one on the uh, hockey rink as well. But it's, uh, again, you have the basic A to B uh, product view, that we talked about doing the most out of what you can with an organization, but you have to be able to read and understand the, the objectives of what you are determined to do, not just at the C-suite, but the communication all the way down, all the way down and all the way back up. Some of the best, the best uh, insights are derived from people actually doing the job or as close to that, that task as possible and having the ability to communicate up and communicate across and communicate uh, vision and communicate objectives so that people have a foundation so that when there is a pivot, there's not, there's not a matter of confusion or change of direction. Rather, it's a part of the whole ecosystem of achieving business objectives. So, you know, Sonia talks, uh, you know, there's some, some are academic, some are experienced, uh, not all come into play in any particular order, but they're all extremely valuable. The, uh, the, the, the crux of things when we go back to what we talked about as the definition of PSR 2.0 is an ever-evolving business mindset that's founded on fact, founded on uh, measurements. It's uh, inclusive and so and it's and it's nonlinear. It's very complex. Uh, there's a history of diversity in participation. 
we're talking about bringing people people up. And a pivot can also be a, a normal response to the the prioritization of a particular part of the street strategy at any particular time. Those are derived through big data, through uh, an urgency or an emerging condition like what we're in, in right now, it's completely changing uh, priority, priorities, uh, focuses, leadership adjustments uh, and measurements, and the ability to have feedback. So the pivot is, I think, the best construct that people should take from this, is there, there are a number of ways to, to see it, observe it, and deal with it. But the fact is they should embrace it because the pivot is about change, and, it, and it's not necessarily change in the overall determination of a precision scheduled transportation network and a holistic view and enhancing business objectives and business management. But uh, whether they're temporary, momentary, or structurally uh, driven changes, uh, the ability to adjust. And that gets into where we talked about in the past on the, the value of experience and the value of understanding where your experience capabilities and maturities l reside who you who who best can support the need how to how to achieve that having uh, the the uh, responsiveness to bring the right people in whether it's talented people like Sonia uh, on a specific uh, stream or uh, even a more broad uh, broad application or people who have uh, deep knowledge of PSR as a foundation to make sure the A to B is, is properly allowing that pivot to happen without interrupting the, the overall objective of improving customer service and a value proposition at the product level. So I think what we, I would like the, the audience to, uh, to uh, come out of this with is that the pivots will happen. There are a lot of tools that Sonia really described really well to uh, to use in, in recognizing when a pivot should happen. And it should be embraced. It has to be communicated. We can't presume people anywhere along the supply chain, anywhere along the ecosystem, anywhere in, within the stakeholder groups are, are gonna necessarily uh, know why or what or how, but the, the ability to communicate and keep people fortified that we're progressing along that business objective and that is is critical. So embrace the pivot. It's a part of it's a part of business structure. It's a part of PSR 2.0. It's a part of precision schedule transportation. Sonia, anything else would you like to add? The pivot is all about uh, making a course correction in a structured way, and it's a change in the strategy and tactics, but not making a change in the vision. You know, I find the uh, sports analogies quite fascinating. Uh, I remember uh, just recently speaking with J.J. Ruest on this at CN uh, on, on this topic. And J.J., of course, was a, a baseball player. Uh, and, you know, he says you have to swing at every ball, whether it comes over the plate, whether it's a fastball or a, or a curveball. Uh, but I, I, I find the, the basketball analogy quite uh, quite telling. But and also hockey. You you two are Canadians, so it's, you got to talk about hockey. And and one one of the things is you know Sonia, you had mentioned uh, about pivoting toward the customer, and uh, you know the the great the great hockey players uh, like like Wayne Gretzky, they instinctively knew where they didn't follow the puck. They knew where the puck was going to be. Uh, so I suppose if you know 
have knowledge or you know where your customers are going to be or where they want to go, then you can pivot toward them. Because in my experience, uh, when folks do pivot, sometimes they're a little bit shy mm -hmm. in terms of how they pivot. They'll pivot, but they're a little bit on the shy side, leaving a lot of opportunity on the table. So I really like it, Bill, um, that you brought up that whole piece with, again, uh, you know, some of our greatest hockey players, they could anticipate ahead of time where that puck will be so mm -hmm. they can go in and really score that winning goal. Yes, and let's not yeah. forget the great Tim Horton. People may not realize he started uh, a butcher shop and his teammates lost a lot of their money. Uh, and so they were hesitant to participate in the donut shop. And that's why his partner was a, was a police officer from Hamilton. He was one of the few that still had belief in Mr. Horton. So no matter the pivot, uh, no matter how uh, difficult the pivot might be, uh, Tim Horton was a, a true example of, of having yes. to make an adjustment yeah. and uh, very successfully. And, and I think uh, I would be remiss to say that it's a good thing JJ swung at a lot of balls because I'd rather him be running a railway than than uh, running the Toronto Blue Jays because he's, that whole team at CN is doing a very very good job particularly through the troubled times that we're in globally right now with, with and the health and welfare of employees and the health and welfare of the Canadian economy is in good hands with uh, with both, J, both JJ and uh, Keith Grill in running things in Canada. Yes I would agree with you wholeheartedly. You and Sonia have talked about the levers or, or levers, as you pronounce them, <laughs> uh, that can be used for, for closing the gap between the current state of uh, PSR, which I guess 1.0, and the target of uh, PSR uh, 2.0. So what, what are those levers? But I think it gets us back to looking at for a benefits uh, to a holistic approach that allows to, us to see sections of the ecosystem or the current supply chain or the current set of uh, precision schedule railroading uh, tactics to to meet their full full objectives. And uh, as we said, our goal is to create stability and expansion of, of precision schedule railroading 2.0 into places where it, it doesn't exist today. And with the current economic state, uh, and the uncertainty of what supply changes uh, of nearshoring or onshoring goods are and what that means to railway, railroads and truck, truck systems and other transportation uh, networks uh, is really fluid. So having levers that, uh, that can close the gap is just as important for people realizing that the gap needs to be closed and that the entirety of the transportation network in North America would benefit greatly from adopting the time to market views that we're, we're espousing within PSR 2.0. The goals, the goals are lofty, but without lofty goals, uh, you know, people wouldn't be where we are today from, from the view of the uh, having a transportation network that is the view of the world. But those goals uh, start with small steps, and those start small steps lead to very, very big successes. Uh, the small steps have tremendous ripples, and so those leaves that we're going to talk about have to be able to uh, resonate and propagate more change and more effectiveness. Uh, small steps will get us started. Uh, small steps add up to bigger successes and, and creates progress and momentum. So whatever lever we use, and we'll talk about them in a minute, it, it's really about filling a void 
creating confidence and stability within the changes that are being made at, at, uh, as the later adopters take on uh, more and more of the values and prop proposals we're talking about as P in PSR 2.0. And, and really linking those new habits to new behaviors uh, so that, again, the benefits are broadened and it allows us to really have an end-to-end -end view and, le and fully leverage the, uh, the transportation system as a whole. So I'll, I'll turn over to Sony to talk about specifically levers, but it's in that, those contexts and the time to market view that, that's really critical in this piece. Well, there are many levers of transformation and the levers serve as mechanisms so that you can proceed to a transformation in a um, very systematic fashion. And they also help you uh, provide focus. In the transformation, there are many moving parts. Very quickly, uh, some levers are innovation, entrepreneurship, delivery, process, operational information technologies, ecosystem partnerships, talent and culture, infrastructure and capital assets, operations, platform standards, guidance, governance. Those are all levers. But what I would like to focus on here are the two most impactful levers in my experience when I'm working with companies going through transformations. So the two that I find most impactful are strategy and business objectives. And this is where all projects are prioritized on the strategic plan and executed to meet business objectives. Second one that I'll talk about, which I find again is um, one of the most impactful ones is leadership, where you must have committed and accountable involvement of the full leadership team including the C-suite and the senior executives. These two levers are um, critical to master upfront and to sustain throughout. And they also fuel all of the other change levers. Now, sometimes we as leaders run into the classic problems during a transformation that have uh, their root causes in these two levers that I mentioned. So it's really important to be self-aware and self-monitoring as a leader so that you can avoid the typical pitfalls. So here is an example of what I try to avoid. And we call it the pitfall domino example. The first domino can occur, leadership can waver. Say wavering in messaging, in monitoring, funding, after the initial launch. And they don't even realize that this is happening. What then happens, the knock-on effect, then the links to the vision and the strategy are weakened or lost, and then the goals and the plan become unstructured. And then the teams are left to their own devices, and sometimes they may be misguided in order to make do. And there have been many instances where teams would go too far down a wrong and an expensive path, only to throw away the investment and effort that they put in, or they end up living with the consequences of maintaining subpar solutions. So how do you stop this pitfall domino effect? What can I do as a leader? What I found that works really well with leadership teams that I've worked with is to put in place really simple mechanisms to foster transparency. It could be a periodic check-in, it could be one-on-one -on -one discussions, it could be skip level team meetings or governance frameworks or dashboards to monitor outcomes. 
and link them up to the higher level performance indicators that link up to the strategy and vision. So we've had a bunch of uh, sports analogies here, and, uh, and here's another one which uh, Sonia and John have uh, introduced here, swim lanes. Sonia, we'll start with you. Uh, can you describe what you refer to as, uh, as swim lanes? I'm thinking Olympics. Oh, yes. There we go. We're uh, all into the sports thing here and really um, elite sports by the way our conversations have been going here. So here we're talking about roadmap and strategies for implementing PSR 2.0. And PSR 2.0 can be implemented in parallel and interacting streams. One stream is internally focused where the PSR 2.0 competency is built within a railroad or an ecosystem partner. And the other stream ecosystem focused where PSR 2.0 unified platform is built. Both streams go through the same roadmap stages, plan, beachhead, early success, scale up and operating. And the linchpins here are strategy and the business objectives. So going a little deeper, the roadmap is broken down into what we call the swim lanes. And so you have the metaphorical lanes of a swimming pool in an Olympic race. Each lane is divided and you can go as fast as you can in your own lane without hitting or disrupting others. And you focus on your lane and your mission. And you have a view also of where all the others are relative to you. So in our PSR 2.0 context, uh, we do have um, key swim lanes. They would be, and so these would be the champion swimmers, right? The market segments, the products and services, the platforms, operational effectiveness, technology building blocks, and regulatory. And you can add others as needed. For example, alliances might be one that you'd like to have on your roadmap as a particular swim lane. Now, each one of these swim lanes is, again, roadmapped across the stages, plan, beachhead, early successes, scale up, and operating, and the relationships and dependencies among the swim lanes across points in time are readily shown. Now, we all know uh, transformations are already difficult conceptually because there are so many moving parts. So the swim lanes of the leaders and their teams segment their work so that they can be effective and focused. The swim lanes help you move forward in a really focused way. It's not like going three wide on the, uh, on the high banks at Daytona International Speedway at 200 miles an hour where if you make a wrong move, the big one happens. I'm a motorsports fan. But John, well, John let's well, uh, Bill, get your, Yeah. Yeah, no problem. I, I'm going to take you a little bit behind the curtain uh, in some okay. of the debates. Tony and I were having, and uh, but but I'll tell you, some days it, it is staying with automotive star. It feels like you're in a demolition derby, uh, you know, <laughs> because it, it is a it is absolutely a nonlinear enterprise. I mean, it is very very complicated. And and uh, as we were talking, I was just uh, flipping back to the first article that we put in, and there was a, a figure that's entitled transportation ecosystem partners. And it has customers, class ones, class twos, class threes, tenant railways, others, advocacy, advocacy and policy partners, industry partners. It, it, it is a, an, uh, a short list. It's not exhaustive by any stretch. 
uh, of kind of the partnerships that we're talking about, Sonia's describing. And there's a, a matrix of lines that, that either intersect, attach directly, or they move around within the, the graphic. So if anybody's listening and they have it in front of them, you'll see what I mean. Because it's it if we're staying in the water, then then you know that takes me to water polo. I've never played it. I've just watched it, particularly in the Olympics. Uh, but it is a, it's a difficult sport. People have to have great competencies in swimming, in uh, in hand-eye coordination, in you know cardiovascular, and they they have a shared goal, obviously, of of scoring goals in the opposition's net and playing offense and defense. And it is a, a a changing dynamic where you don't even have a hard surface to be able to pivot on. That's, you know, that, that to me is railroading in North America. And as we add into other uh, responsibilities and other levels of complexity, and we do it for, through our own volition, not through regulation, it, it's through the desire to create a better state, uh, then, then we, we, you know, that's what I describe as, as swim lanes. It, it, it isn't linear. It's something that's, that's uh, in, in fluid motion. But Sonia describes the abilities and the, the um, mandate for people in organizations to be as effective as they can be. As I would say in a railway network planning meeting, the A to B and the B to A. Uh, those basic uh, building blocks of a, of a transportation plan, transportation execution, have to be optimized. And within that, there are responsibilities and self-determinations of a railway. Even as railways meet each other on a product level view and the uh, interchanges happen. Uh, and we're Sony and I are talking about having a product level view that transcends the entities of the railways. And so within your own responsibility, it is absolute that you're going to optimize the infrastructure there. It's a high fixed value, uh, high fixed cost uh, uh, enterprise. There's a lot of um, uh, other costs associated that are more dynamic and more fluid. And it's, it's up to people within those organizations to have a business mindset, a, a business vision, and derive the most value for their shareholders. Plain simply, we're not advocating anything differently. Uh, and we expect people to grow their top top line. I mean, that's not going to change. What is going to change is how in people interact and intersect when they have a uh, when they have a, a product that's going to transcend their their barrier boundaries into other boundaries. And not only that, but to then incent other modes of transportation to participate because they too see a value to get the opportunity to be heard. So yeah, when we talk about swim lanes, that's the self-determination within your organization. When you bring it together, it is a little bit more dynamic and fluid and ever evolving, like a water polo game that have a unique set of skills that not everybody in the world has. So again, having that ability to um, bring people in, manage, manage what Sony calls a swim lane, I call a, a water polo, some call a demolition derby, some call a NASCAR race. There's structure, there's evolution, there's uh, requirements for uh, optimization within each of those segments with the broader goal of working more closely together to support improvement and optimization as a whole so that entities can attract and retain more business, uh, new business, and uh, have an entrepreneurial view uh, cascade across their systems.
that's you know that's my take on the swim lane and i thought i'd go a little bit behind the curtain to expose some of the some of the points of uh, discussion that, that we you know we had during the course of the deliberations on these papers let's uh talk a bit about uh risk uh or more specifically uh uh, aversion to risk. Uh, railroads have historically been, to a certain extent, risk averse. You have said uh, ignoring an opportunity to pivot is a risk. Uh, so, John, uh, we'll start with you. Bill, I don't necessarily agree with the the statement uh, in its entirety. I I don't I don't I wouldn't agree that railways are risk averse in a business environment. I think where risk risk adversity comes from. In, when people think about the railways, is safety. And in that respect, for uh, railways obligations to the communities they, they pass through, to the employees they support, to the businesses they, they uh, help uh, succeed, yeah, there's, there's an element of risk aversion. You have to err on the side of safety. Uh, and uh, the more you understand the rail business, safety is actually an enabler of business opportunities because the more reliable you are, the safer you are, the, the more fluid a railway is, and the more apt people are to participate in a railway uh, business, both as a customer, as an employee, or as, as an investor. So, you know, setting aside the, the, uh, the name of safety and uh, safety-sensitive environments, I think railways have been really uh, cutting edge as far as developing new businesses, as far as uh, responding to the economies. And in a, in a historic sense, uh, I, I look back to my early days on the railway. I was in Eastern Canada. Eastern, Eastern Canada was largely supported by the uh, export of natural resources like iron ore, pulp and paper, finished, pro, finished lumber, finished paper, mostly to the paper to support newspapers, et cetera. You only have to listen to that list of things to understand where uh, the North American economy has shifted to. Uh, newspapers are not as prevalent as they once were. Uh, the iron ore business is something that's really uh, softened considerably. But when I look back to the volumes that were moving on the railway in Eastern Canada in the, you know, the early days of my career, they're just eclipsed by the volume that's moving today. So the, 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 the ability to market and to, to um, inspire new markets is there. Uh, and one of, uh, an innovative way of, of moving, transport, uh, moving goods was through the distribution uh, of um, containerized uh, products, gone from brake bulk into containers. Uh, taking it one step further, moving uh, moving containers that were once empty, going back overseas or going back to the origin, and finding ways to export through domestic uh, domestic repositioning and finding ways to optimize that container. The railways have have done a good job. The difference in the world now is that the pace of change is coming so quickly. It, it it's not being telegraphed as vividly. The, the ability to be responsive and leverage those those opportunities or address competitive environment new competitive environments that are emerging is is substantial and so you know you think uh, I'll, I'll coin another phrase from from uh, CN and JJ if I if if I could take the liberty is feeding that beast that very expensive fixed asset 
uh, infrastructure that is a railroad uh, is, is important. Finding new ways to be creative is important. But what we're talking about is, is transcending that view that you know, it's the individual railroads are uh, fostering relationships and developing relationships with customers. What we're talking about is how does that happen when, it, when those customer goods and those products transcend the boundaries of an individual entity. So from a risk adversity perspective, uh, the, the railways are looking to do new things. Uh, from, from the perspective of precision schedule railroading, you can see that, that uh, the early adopters, CN, the later adopters like CP, were more, more all in to what, what the uh, first version of PSR looked like. Other ones, as it got uh, adopted by the U.S. roads, the major U.S. roads, are finding pieces to adopt for whatever reason, for their own strategic vision, for their own you know, response to any kind of uh, concerns or where they see opportunities. Whether that's uh, limiting their, uh, limited by capacity, limited by capability, or an aversion to any kind of uh, pushback, you know, th that's up to them to understand. What we're talking about and giving a solution to is a, is a different set of circumstances that broaden out the, uh, the ecosystem, that broaden out the capacity to take on and develop new businesses, that broaden out the responsiveness from the regulators to support these new emerging markets or these new emerging transportation conditions or collaborations. Uh, from organized labor, from community groups, from customer groups, and from, you know, shippers. So one thing that we, when we really talk about doing it in a measured way and time to market view just to be able to introduce, to be able to scale, we're not talking, you know, glacial, glacial evolution. It's fast-paced. It's going to be uh, something that people have to respond to. They, people, uh, organizations have to be ready and fortified to be able to do it. The skill sets, the maturity uh, of the organization has to be ready for it. The, the assessment and the capabilities have to be in place so that people know what their starting points are so they're less apt to make the mistakes that could be fatal to the execution and delivery of these value propositions. So, you know, again, setting aside safety sensitive and safety high, high risk um, movement of, of goods and services uh, and people's, you know, notion of safety or risk it's it's i think the railways have always been on the front edge but what we're talking about is something that's a monumental shift that is going to address the fast pace of competition the emerging competition of these trillion dollar entities these uh, where competition might even might not even be known right today where it uh, where it may come from in a few months or it may come from in a couple of years. Being able to respond and pivot in those in those to meet those opportunities and create value for the customers and value for the shareholders and value for employees and value for communities and value for the people participating in an ecosystem is what we're talking about. I don't think they're as risk averse as people want to say. Sonia, your thoughts? Railroads are technologies and every technology is risky. We can go as far back to the 1800s where the railroads were building westwards through the mountain. And through the decades thereafter, where railroads solved very tough problems by using the latest technology of the times. Railroads historically have been about innovation and you must be brave to innovate. 
actually you got to be very brave and take calculated risks. You also have to be good at predicting risk so that you can manage it. You have to be an active risk manager. If people misunderstand the concept of active risk management, and then they think it means risk aversion, and then they take a passive stance, then you will move towards obsolescence. Innovation is risky. So if you don't pivot, that's the most risky behavior. And you can become obsolete because innovation is active. You cannot innovate and be passive. So I like to put out a challenge. The traditional view of risk and its management is risk avoidance. So how about expanding on this traditional view to one where risk and its management enables organizations to make strategic decisions regarding the identification of emerging risks and pursuing growth opportunities presented by the ecosystem. So rather than managing risk in a passive paradigm, which creates a less innovative culture, let's set our sights on a culture of actively and boldly managing risk. So ignoring a pivot the risk because it leads to a passive culture which does not innovate. If you don't innovate, you can go obsolete. Standing still is the riskiest move. Pivoting is that constant steering to keep the organization moving in the right direction. Otherwise, the organization may end up making a wrong turn and or may miss new compelling opportunities. Well, Sonia and John, uh, this has been a fascinating uh, series, I think very useful. Uh, I'd like to get some uh, concluding thoughts from you. Uh, John, we'll start with you. Thank you, Bill, for this wonderful uh, platform to be able to communicate and articulate some of the concepts that Sonia and I have developed over the time. And I'd be remiss not to, to recognize a lot of the, the great people out there who've given us contribution feedback and uh, and have can, you know, asked us to continue driving this forward. But if I could, if I could really reflect, uh, I think PSR 2.0, Precision Schedule Transportation, is really the breakthrough. It is really, that's what's going to be the driving force of change. And it's also going to be the link that mitigates risks. It's necessary. The ecosystems that we're, we were working in not too long ago are evolving at a pace that is going to eclipse the capabilities of individual entities. And uh, if, if it's uh, left to be disruptive and there's not the broad engagement to reduce the, the uh, risks, then the optimization of the supply chains and the customers and the stakeholders are, are not going to be as well served as, as they need to be. We, we've seen um, implementations in varying degrees across North America. Uh, we've seen that uh, the while it's energized to improve the uh, development of rail, that it's in some cases tweaking, in some cases it's tampering, in some cases it uh, just doesn't go far enough to revise the existing systems. And by that, they're not going far enough to really uh, think outside the box, to really stretch the, the vision, to really understand how precise railroading is the next logical step 
predict the evolution of precision scheduled transportation. And, uh, you know, I've always advocated a broader engagement and commitment to reduce the temptation to rush through things, uh, skip critical steps, by, or, or just to continue doing things for, for doing them for historic value rather than for operational necessity or contribution is a large uh, and often used mistake. It, PSR 2.0 broadens the scope of influence. It sets the pace of expansion and innovation, and both are necessary now. It couldn't be more necessary. The richer the, the story, the richer the engagement, the, the, the real values then are come within the site, insight. We'll, we'll all say that that continues to be, uh, continues to need to be uh, now and in the future. The current and future markets and the emerging competition are real. A shared purpose in an overall synthesis allows for full potential and growth to be re reached. And uh, it couldn't be more appropriate and more appropriately timed with, with where our position within the digital age, within the digital transformation, and within the, the value proposition that, that railways and other transportation systems bring to the North American economy, particularly in the turbulent times we are in today, but it is as applicable a year ago or a year and a half ago as it will be in, in a year from now and a decade from now. Change is certain. PSR is the platform that, that presents the stable, broadens view and scope of influence to set the pace and tone of the expansion of the systems. Sonia, your concluding thoughts. I invite listeners of the series to reach out uh, with your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you as we evolve through this next generation of railroading together. After all, we are in really, really exciting times in railroading. These are exciting times to be a railroader. I would have to agree with you wholeheartedly. So uh, on, on that note, uh, I'd like to thank you both, Sonia Bott and John Orr, for participating in the, in the series with us with Railway Age. It's been an interesting journey, and we uh, the journey will continue. My thanks to you both. We wish you the best. Wish you good health, and uh, have a safe day. Thank you.